Um, okay, with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Mark. And uh, Lord, as we, you know, we took a break for Christmas and, and now we, um, we're sort of reorientating ourselves in this gospel and, and uh, the theme is shifting and we're, uh, we're, we're quickly uh, in the gospel of Mark now racing to the cross. And, and so, Father... As Jesus uh, challenges his disciples, as he uh, begins to really lay on uh, leadership principles and training to them as, the, as really the founders of the early church, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to be challenged by Jesus, that you would allow his words to, to, to really uh, convict us, Lord. May they, may they sting, may, may they cut through maybe the years of spiritual callous that we have on our hearts uh, Lord, may your spirit penetrate. Lord, uh, show us uh, areas in our life that we have held back from you, areas of our life that um, are, are sinful and maybe we're blind to. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to, to, to truly to long for righteousness and to long uh, for holiness and to, to long uh, to be with you in your kingdom. And so, Father, we ask that as we commit this time to to reading and studying your word. I pray that your spirit would uh, take our efforts of uh, learning uh, and, and use it, Lord, uh, to, to penetrate our souls. Help us to be more like Christ. Uh, may we honor you in all that we do. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to the end. <clears throat> John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to, to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the, feet, and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. And where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with everyone. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now as we navigate this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we sort of... We, we jumped sort of right into a story that's already been happening. If we were 
Uh, to go back to verse 25, we see that the context, um, Jesus has, had asked them, like, hey, what were you guys talking about as we made our way to Capernaum? Um, and they were sort of embarrassed. You know, Jesus is talking about the cross, and he knows that they're talking about, you know, sort of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're, they're sort of setting up their little empire that, uh, okay, Peter makes sense, you're the oldest, maybe you're going to be the CEO, and then John, and you can, you know, they have all of their little positions laid out, and they're embarrassed when Jesus sort of asks them the question because he exposes them for what they're uh, talking about. And Jesus in verse, I think it's in verse 25, he, you know, he sits down and we get to verse um, 36 and he took a little child and we're told that it's a boy because he took him and he took him and he sort of picked him up and he, he uh, put him in front of them. And I sort of, in my mind, I had little Caleb, you know, who's like the little boy that's kind of like, you know, he's walking, but any one of us can just pick him up kind of and like, you know. <laughs> and so, so, the, so the picture is like this little kid is grabbed and Jesus says, whoever see, receives one child like this in my name receives me and whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me. Um, and and, and he's, he's kind of um, this, this picture of like, this insignificant person who, who doesn't really contribute to the society. It, it could be broader than just a, a child, but the, maybe the people in the culture that are maybe not beneficial to you in order to advance your, uh, your, your position, your standing, your wealth, your whatever. Um, and, and Jesus basically says this revolutionary thought. If you want to be great, you need to become the least. And not only the least of all, but you need to be servant of all. And so from this, John speaks up. And so it's John's turn. You know, the, the, the apostles, they, they take like one step forward and they're starting to make ground. And then they take two steps backwards. You know, like Peter's normally the guy that's taking two steps backwards. And now it's John's turn. And, and so John, in the midst of this teaching, sort of on leadership and how they're to live their lives as Jesus followers, says, well, teacher, I have a question for you. Um, Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. And so first off, I don't know about you, but when I, when I look at the question, I immediately see the guy they're talking about with sort of prejudice. Like the guy that's casting out demons, he's wrong, he's doing something improper. Um, but if you really look at it, there's no indication that what the guy did was actually he, nothing wrong. You know, he says he saw someone casting out demons in your name. So there's an individual. We don't know anything about this individual other than he was casting out demons and he was using Jesus' name, which I think John and the apostles, the issue is they think that they sort of have Jesus' name trademarked to themselves. And now somebody that's not a part of them has infringed on, on their rights. Um, and it almost begs the question, because it was, it was not too long ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, we saw where uh, when they came back, there was a little boy that had a demon possession and the, the disciples couldn't do it. I wonder if there was another one that they couldn't do, but this other guy could do. Like, it, there, there's a lot of questions um, that, that sort of that, that, that come from this, like, wh where's their jealousy? Or Like, it seems to be jealousy, because the issue in the, the last part, it says, the reason they confronted him is because he was not following us. He was not in our clique. 
He was not in our denomination. He wasn't in our in our, our group, our circle of doing things, and we see this all, like, everywhere. Just even this week, so I'm in this pastor's group, very exclusive, not really. There's like, <laughs> I don't know how many there. Um, but there's a bunch of guys that are not cut from my cloth. Like, they're, they're very, I, the reality is I'm probably the oddball in the group because I'm not the normal sort of pastor. And so... One guy this week posted a picture, like a really negative picture of this church in his area. He's like, oh, this is like, this is in our area now. And so I'm like, oh, oh, okay, it's kind of like a goofy picture. Like, I'm not sure, like, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the issue was. But it was enough that pegged my curiosity because of my distraction. I'm like, I'll go check it out. Let's go check out his website. And I check out the sermon. I'm like, okay, the guy's style's not my style, but... He's really a good speaker, and what he's saying is biblical. Like, and he's, and so then I, I kind of came back, and I was like, "What's the issue? Like, what's your criticism? Is it because the guy's like cool, and you're not? And like, like kind of what? Like, what's your criticism? And then a bunch of these other guys that they're like, "Yeah, like, what's the guy? What's the issue?" Um. And I think that the issue for the one pastor that put the group is like exclusivism, like that. He was a more of a, a fundamentalist uh, of like church is supposed to be done this way with certain type of music and a certain style out of a certain translation and to, to operate out of their sort of endorsed way of worship is to be wrong. But, but there's not really like a, like a biblical, like there, there very well could have been, but there wasn't a biblical condemnation for what the pastor was saying or not saying. And, and this seems to be the issue here. There's, he didn't say, Jesus, we saw this guy doing this and he was violating this scripture and he was manipulating the people and he was doing, you fill in the blank for any number of things that would have been violating scripture. John simply says, he was casting out demons and we tried to prevent him because he wasn't in our group. And so the question is, is how would Jesus respond to this? And Jesus says in verse 39, do not hinder him. He says, don't, don't stop him. For, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. Like Jesus is saying, he's, he's, out, he's casting out a demon, that's good. He did it in my name. He's not going to turn around and then condemn me after he just did that in my name, something good. He says, for he, who is a, for he who is not against us is for us. And he's like, don't, 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 don't hinder this guy. Don't, don't create some sort of like division. And, and so much of Christianity, like especially in evangelical circles, there's so many like sects. And it's like, guys, we need to like focus on the, the main things. And I, and I love that Joel just said, you're praying for anybody like, like the new people in our community, like we pray that people would find a good, healthy church, whether it's here or community church or whatever. Like, like the issue is the gospel and that they're teaching the word. That there are certainly, what Jesus is not doing is he's, he's not removing all sort of like, he's not creating inclusivism where just everything, whatever, like free reign. In Matthew twelve thirty, Jesus said, he who is not with me is, and is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. So there's this, there's this tension. There's the idea of the guy that's doing this wasn't doing anything wrong. He was with Jesus. He'd identified with Jesus. He'd learned from Jesus. Um, one man, Alistair Begg, he's like, I wonder if 
I wonder if this could be the, the demon-possessed man that was freed and Jesus left behind. And I'm like, ooh, that's an interesting thought. You know, like, like it could be somebody that Jesus already ministered to. The guy's now redeemed. He's serving Jesus, but he's not walking with the disciples and he's doing stuff. And now the disciples are coming back down on him. And in Matthew 12, 30, like, there's, 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 not, there's not room like, there's tension here. Jesus isn't just saying, everybody's for me sort of thing. You're united around me. If you're doing something in my name, you're for me. Don't create these divisions and create hostility when there's really not hostility needed. Um, <clears throat> we're just, we just have this within this, that if people look different than us, if they worship slightly different than us, um, then we create our different groups. Uh, you know, one of the, the pastor, Miles McPherson, that I kind of came to Christ under, you know, he used to say, he's like, yeah, Sunday's like the most divided day in, in the United States. You have black churches, you have white churches, you have purple churches, and he lists all the different, like, different variances by how people segregate. And then you get in this little, like, preferences, and then you start to condemn those that don't have your same preferences. And I think there's a good lesson that we see played out in Paul's life. And early in Philippians, while Paul is under arrest, this is what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. He says, some to be sure are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife. So he's saying there are people who are out proclaiming the gospel and their motivation of proclaiming the gospel is out of envy and strife but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones that are doing it for the bad motive, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. He's like, there are people out there that hate me so bad that they're preaching Christ because they think it's going to do me harm in prison. <clears throat> And so then what is Paul's, like, how, does Paul, how is Paul going to react to this? What does he tell them? Guys, you need to go attack them. Just talk bad about them. Throw them in jail. Distance yourself from them. Make it clear. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He's like, praise the Lord. Because I don't care about me. What they're doing is they're spreading the gospel, and that's what I care about. And so this seems to be what Jesus is saying. Guys, like, relax. They're, they're, he's casting out a demon in my name. Don't, 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 don't do what the Pharisees are doing. Then he says, forever who gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. And it's almost like he goes to the, the, the least of these. Like, I, I imagine the little boy there. Like, even that little boy has the capacity to grab a, you know, a cup of water and run out to the disciples. Hey, you guys thirsty? You're Christians? Let me give you some water. Like he gives an example that's the easiest thing to do. Like any of us have the ability, the capacity to do something as minimal as giving somebody that's thirsty a cup of water in the, couple, in the name of Christ. And this is specifically these, these individuals are followers of Christ. And because they're followers of Christ, the one person is giving a gift to them to minister to them. And it, it's beautiful. We then continue with the little one's theme. This little, this little boy, you know, Caleb's getting a lot of FaceTime this week because I have Caleb running around in my brain. Like, I just see Caleb in this story, you know, his little blonde hair, kind of like poofy. He's got his legs, so he has freedom. 
<clears throat> and, it, and the setting is in the house. Like we're in a home. We have the disciples in the house and there's a little kid. We all, like we, the kids remain in here and some of them stay in here, but like during the announcements, you know, you can hear, you can just, you can just hear the squirming. The, the parents are really uncomfortable. Like, oh no, be quiet. Everybody else is like, Oh, they're so cute. I don't care what Joel is saying up there. Like, look at that kid. Like, like Joel said something to me. I'm like, I don't know. I heard something else. I was thinking about little kid. And so in the midst of this, Jesus like continues this theme of the little ones. Now, again, it's not isolated to the, the just little children, but this could be anybody. You could expand on this to those that are, that are new in the faith, those that maybe don't have the capacity to think at deeper levels, those like just any one of these little ones, anyone that you would place under yourself in, in the social stratosphere. He says, anyone who causes one of these little ones uh, who believe to stumble. So if, if you, if there's a little one, whoever that little one is, and they're moving along in their faith, and then you do something to disrupt their journey in their faith that would cause them to go a different direction, it's a very bad, like, Today's passage gets very dire. Um, he says, if you do that to one of these little ones, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Now behind me is a millstone. It is in Capernaum, the location where Jesus is. And to sort of put this in, I mean, this actually on the screen up here, that's probably that's that's definitely smaller than the, it is in reality. You would hook a, a donkey with a with a big pole through the center of the millstone, and it would go to the chest of the, the donkey or mule or whatever, and the, the it would take the animal to walk around in circles to crush the olives that were laid there in the process of of harvesting. And so, like, and the sea they have the Sea of Galilee right there, like. So this is, this is using real-world stuff around Jesus. And he says, if you stumble one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have that, that rolling stone on the top around your neck. Some estimate is like a couple, like a thousand pounds maybe. Like I'm a really good swimmer, but I don't think I can handle swimming that with that around my neck. Like, like he's saying it would be better for you to die by drowning than to experience the judgment that you're going to face. This is sober. This is just to kind of back up the, the context of it all. Remember, like this conversation started by Jesus sharing the gospel with them multiple times. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. They're walking down the hill. What are they talking about? Jesus is talking about suffering, dying, giving his life for the for the sins of the world. They're talking about, hey, when this all happens, who's gonna be number one? Who's gonna be number two? Who's gonna be the greatest? And so Jesus is now inverting their thinking. It's like, hey, guys, you want to be the greatest. Be the, you come in last place. And then you serve all. And this little kid, you, like, you don't stumble one of these least of these. Don't worry about the Pharisees that have all the power. Think about this little child and his faith and how he's growing. Um, Haddon Robinson, who is this famous preacher, and, and he was the president, I think, of Denver Seminary, he, he told a, a story of a dinner that he went to. Like he went out to dinner with, with a, I think it was a visiting professor. And, and so they go out to dinner and I don't know, something happened. 
where the visiting professor got super mad at the, at the waitress, like where he like went off on her. And then dinner continued. They went about their meal. And then it's like dessert time, I guess. Haddon Robinson looks at the visiting preacher. He's like, hey, why don't we share the gospel with this waitress? And you can see the look, like he decides the look on this visiting professor, like all of the blood dropped out of his face. And Haddon Robinson, obviously like an older man, he might be passed away now, with just a lot of wisdom. Like what he did was he's like, people are watching you. You just treated that lady who you treated as like nothing compared to like your professor status. And now that I tell you that I want to witness to her, you don't think you can do it because you just made a jerk of yourself. Like he did more harm for the gospel in that moment to the least of these because his cheeseburger came well done or something. I don't know. Like, like we have a propensity to be so self-focused and self-absorbed that we lose track over what is our impact of the gospel to those around us. So there's this, this is huge, like, this, this warning that's, that's building, you know, and, and just struggling through this text from the cross to the greatness to the little kid that gets, you know, put out there as an illustration. Um, it's like, what, Jesus is not telling them to, like, compromise. Like, clearly, like, within this, there's, there's the emphasis of the word of God and what does he say, and there are things that we, we certainly do, do divide over. Um, as I've been pondering what Jesus says, I, this, the story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, like, I, like the militariness in me or like the, uh, you know, the, the brotherhood or you know, not even the military side, but if you, want, if you like, you know, remember the Titans movie, like any sports movie where there's like a group of guys that come around and they're, at, you know, like, blood, sweat, and tears, fighting for some goal together. In Acts 20, verses 13 through 38, I'm not going to read the story, but Paul's on his very last leg of his life. Like, he knows he's going to face execution. And the story flows that he he tells the guy that's driving the boat or whatever to, to go past Ephesus a little bit, and then when they get there, then to go back to to send a runner up to Ephesus to get all the pastors from Ephesus and then to meet him there. And there's like just this powerful scene of, guys, I'm going to my death. You're not going to see me again. And they're, they're, they're all weeping together. And Paul says, listen, after I'm gone, wolves are going to come in and they're going to ravage the church and you need to stand firm and guard the doctrine and don't, let the truth of God be contempt. Like, don't you? Ha- it's up to you. God has entrusted you to maintain the, the purity of what we stand for. And then, as you fast forward the story, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, you come to Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses, Jesus comes and he says to the church in Ephesus, these people. That, that Paul had the, 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 like the group hug with and the, the admonishment and the encouragement. And, and so what does Jesus tell them to the church in, Revelation, or church in Ephesus? What he, what he says is, you've done, you've done a good thing. You've protected the gospel. You've stayed true to doctrine. But you've departed from your first love. And 
And so, so somewhere in this admonishment to them that Jesus is telling them, there's like this commitment to, like, to, to love passionately, um, zealously according to his word, but don't lose sight of, of the compassion and the mercy that you've received from the Father as you interact with, with others. And, and there's, there's just a tension there. That, like, I, I'm okay with that. I don't say I have it perfect, and I probably, you know, as I go through my life, I tend to come over here a little bit, and then it's like, then I get pulled back over here a little bit. Um, it, it, there's that phrase, that, that we should hold ourselves to the highest biblical standard possible and everyone else to the very lowest biblical standard possible. But we so often, we mess that up. We're very gracious with ourselves and very harsh on others. And I think that that's what Jesus is getting to. And, and he's, it's going to get, just hang on, it's going to get worse here. <laughs> like, this is, I'm going to get a sip of water. I, uh, <laughs> and we're going to start chopping off body parts. Uh, it's Jim, do you have the machete? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's hyperbole. So before we read it, just so. <laughs> and hyperbole, what hyperbole is, it's an exaggerated statement to make, to make a point. And so then Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled, having two hands, uh, crippled than having two hands to go to hell into the unquenched fire. Um, I meant to say a statement. You'll notice this phrase, uh, or maybe you don't notice this phrase, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So in the New American Standard, there's, there's brackets. So this is sort of a, this is something we need to understand about the Bible. Your Bible may have a note. Your, your Bible might have a note there. Um, but if you just jump down to verse 48, the brackets won't be there. Or you'll see the phrase for the first time, and so you'll see where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And, and, and so what the brackets mean, as we go through Mark, we run into these situations where these brackets appear, and with these brackets to me, what I, the first thing I hear is the integrity of Christian scholarship. And so that as, as history has unfolded and we make archaeological advances and discoveries, so, so the original translations we had came from a certain line of, of manuscripts. But then there was a discovery in Egypt of earlier manuscripts because when they were discovered in Egypt, the, 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 the land, the, the temperature, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Humidity, but climate, yeah. The, it, it just preserves stuff better. And so later they discovered all these very early manuscripts and so there were some things that were missing in the early manuscripts. And so they see that, oh, like what had happened as the translator, um, there's something called ellipsis where you can add something in. Like it's, it's assumed that it's there. And, and that's what happens. So at the very end, the very last time with the eye, it's put in there where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. To make it easy for you to understand, it, somewhere along the line, somebody just put that phrase in the other two so that as you're studying it, you can see now, in modern scholarship, I, this is something I should have looked at. I don't know, the NIV, the ESV, these translations, I'm guessing that they just have a footnote that say some translations insert this there. Probably more than you guys need, but I enjoy the stuff, so I'll share with you. <laughs> it's not that the Bible is like, it's not that the Bible has all sorts of errors in it. There's scholarship behind it, and that's why I bring it up. But so he's going to talk about the hand, the foot, 
in your eye. And he says it's better for you to either cut, cut him off or pluck it out to, to go through this life without those things than it is to enter into the kingdom of heaven having these things that cause you to sin because these sins may keep you from. Um, Jesus speaks about hell more than like any other person probably. It's, he says to go to hell unquenchable fire. The readers of this would understand this is a word that would have meant the dump. Um, This was like a physical location in Jerusalem, not that we're in Jerusalem, but everybody would understand the dump in the southern edge of Jerusalem were like animals, like just the dump, right? It's either some of you think it's a glorious place or it's a horrible place. My boys think it's a glorious place. Like I Oh, no, Titus reminded me he hasn't had a trip to the dump yet. Only Gideon got to go to the dump. And he was like, <laughs> like he had to stay in the car. And he's like, those diggers in the, like, like, I mean, there are tractors at the dump that are like, they could just squish your car in a heartbeat. Like, it's amazing. Like, and so, like, I, our boys think more Gideon. Titus is waiting for his first run to the dump to, like, uh, got a little distracted here. Most people don't like the dump. And so in the south end of Jerusalem with all of the, just the sewage, animal parts, trash, I mean, you're talking worms, and it was like a glowing fire of stench that just like constantly was going 24-7 round the clock. And so when you read this, into hell, the unquenchable fire, the the, the, the word there is the name of the dump so that everybody would immediately have this association with this really horrible place. And so when Jesus talks about this, this is dire. This isn't, this isn't like a pleasant conversation, like t- talking about your eternal destination and the consequences of this life or how you live or the decisions you make this isn't like a feel-good anything. Um, it, it has been observed. I haven't verified it. Um, but one, one observed that Jesus, when he speaks about hell and the harshness, it almost always seems to be to his followers. And to those that are outside of the club, like the woman at the well, who Jesus starts, hey, go get your husband. She's like, ugh. I don't have a husband. And Jesus looks at her, he's like, that's right, you've been married. I forgot you've been married three or four times. And the guy you're living with actually isn't your husband. But he comes to her with grace. And and so it seems to be that what Jesus is doing, I think, for us and for his followers is is to recognize that we're not just playing some game. Like, I love that Charles Swindoll said that Christ didn't die on the Christ to give us something to do for an hour on Sundays. Like, the, the stakes are real here. And for our followers to have the compassion that we would, we would see the reality of what's going on so that when we come to these passages, when we come to our loved ones and those that we don't know that don't know Christ, that there would be a deep, deep sense of, like, pain and sorrow. Um, that when the, Jesus on the cross, it wasn't just like a way to make a way, like to make us as Christians feel better. And the, you know, if you're atheist, that's great. Everything will be okay over there. Jesus pigeonholes us. Like he, 
He's the one that points to the scriptures and points to the, the outline of God's plan throughout history, the redemptive plan of God. It says there's that for those outside of Christ, there's severe consequence. For those within Christ, there's hope. But at the same time, he doesn't just leave us there. Like, I'll never forget early when I was making the trend. Like, I'd, I might have still been a seal, but I was kind of like doing the bivocational thing. And, and I was called into a situation where, like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, the whole idea of being a pastor and what does it look like, but I carried, the, like, I carried the title and the credentials to function as a pastor, but I hadn't really worked through some sticky situations. And I remember I came to a situation where they, this couple wanted to get married, but they were living together, and I didn't even necessarily like pronounce anything or say what I would or wouldn't do. I was just kind of talking through with them kind of like struggles that I had if I'm going to be the one that officiates this, and they didn't, she didn't want the conversation. It was the first time I was ever blogged against, and <laughs> so there's that one scar that I have. Um, but the, the, the context was like, I, Jesus loves me just as I am. And the Christian world can't accept me just as I am. And I remember thinking, like, sweetheart, you know, Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. And, and I think the point of this is like for, for us to like take sin really seriously. Like there's a side of me that that kind of misses my like early Christianity, like like that where I was very much in the world and just like beginning to like experience Christianity, where sort of like the gross sins were still very obvious in my life and very difficult to navigate. Um, like. I missed that window of young Gunner in, 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 in my SEAL Team 3 locker. Like, we had like a cage, and it's sort of on my knees going, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Like, I want what's in the Bible, but my sin is so powerful, and I keep doing all of these things. And, like, I can't do it. Like, like just being, like, sort of passionate, and, it, like, this, this, the, the war within me was real. And I was fighting for righteousness in my life, but I was failing. And I was yearning for holiness, but I just couldn't do it. And, I, like, and now you walk down the road 20 or 25 years, and now Gunner's like walking the Christian game. Like, so the, so the, the sin that I'm dealing with now is so much harder to see for me even. And then it's like, well, I've reached cruising altitude, so I'm good. I'm like... I mean, I laugh, but it's serious. Like, it's like, but, 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 but from what I read in the New Testament, I'd argue that, that these smaller sins, these are the way more dangerous ones concerning how Jesus handled the religious people. And so the, the, the question like, that I have is like for myself, for you, like where do your hands lead you to it was said where do your feet lead you to where do your eyes go he says are you willing to cut them off but the reality for all of us is like where does your cell phone lead you 
Am I willing to put a jackhammer to this because it's leading me to places that it shouldn't go? Am I willing to shut off my computer? It's like, oh, Jesus, why do my bank on the computer? I can't like, but, oh, but where else does it lead you? He's talking about getting really serious about your sin. Who are the people that you're hanging out with? When you find yourself apart from Christ and in sin, what led you there? Are you asking the questions like, how did I get it? Well, habit. Well, break your habits. Well, I've been hanging out with these friends since I was a little kid. Well, see, you might need to stop it. Like, just cut it off. Cut those relationships. You can't have those relationships anymore if they lead you to sin. But it's my family. Jesus said it's better to enter into the kingdom of heaven missing body parts than it is to go through this life with all your parts intact, to, to stand before your maker and to realize what you've missed out on. This is, this is not easy. Like, come to tell me I stepped all over your toes. I've been stepping on my toes. Like, I've been getting my toes stepped on all week, and I hope so. Like, I hope it penetrates Beyond the facade of like, oh, I'm a good Christian Sunday school boy, and I like, you know, I never went to Sunday school. Like, I, like, I, <laughs> like it, it should hurt. It should cut. It should really be convicted. You really should be wrestling with, Lord, I am a man with unholy lips, and who are you? Like, I think about when Lindsay came and she talked about Isaiah and, oh, here the angel came and put the coal on the lips, so don't worry about it, I've taken care of it. If you'll turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is probably one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible. You guys all know it. That God won't handle you more than you can give. That's not, what the, that's not what this says. <laughs> I don't know how many of us can handle death. Like, I can't handle death. There's like, God gives us way more. He doesn't, God doesn't want us to be independent. He wants us to be dependent. So God is going to force you into situations to dependency. And so this is one of those verses. In verse 12, we read, uh, Paul begins to say, this is like just for those of you that don't have a lot of Bible background. I often refer to First Corinthians as the Jerry Springer Church, just to kind of like that's the context of this church. Like I, it is, it is very bad um, what they're dealing with. And so then he says in verse twelve, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve. Therefore, let him who thinks he takes heed that he doesn't fall. So first off, if you are sitting there going, I'm no longer wrestling with these things. I've been a Christian for 45 years, and I'm good to go. <laughs> you're in the most precarious place. You are in danger. I'd suggest to you you're dealing with pride right away. Like, like that's the whole... Um, he says, listen, if you think you stand, take heed, because when you think that you're the strongest, that's exactly when your fall is going to happen. And then he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. So any temptation that you're struggling with, it's common. There's, there's nothing that you're going through that someone else hasn't gone through. And I do think that's a ploy of Satan is to get you into the situation where you think that you're experiencing something that nobody else has ever experienced so that you don't go to anybody else. And you try to 
handle it in isolation. Since this is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, it's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, or we're close to the anniversary, and hearing about alternatives, so many of these young ladies and couples, they think there's no other option but to abort the baby. They don't even know. And so praise God that there are organizations like Alternatives that exist so that these young or old couples in crisis enter in and say, you're not alone. I went through this very thing. They say, no temptation's overtaken you. It's, it's common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. This is the misquoted part. It doesn't say that it doesn't say that God won't give you more than you're able. It's, it's talking about this, the context of temptation. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, if you're doing the Bible reading plan this year, and I'm doing it this year, the, the, this morning the Bible reading plan was Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Perfect illustration Here's this guy, he's, he's been in prison, he goes to the ranks, and he goes up, there's Potiphar's wife, and she's got the hots for him because he's a good-looking Jewish boy. And he's like, what are you talking about? The king, your husband, has given me everything. I can't touch you. And then she takes his clothes, and what does he do? <laughs> he runs. He gets out of the situation just like this, like, God will provide a way out. It might mean that you have to turn your back and run. It might mean that you need to delete and block people that are calling you, texting you, people that are harassing you. Harassing you from a spiritual standpoint. Harassing might be as simple as, hey, Gunner, you want to go get a beer? And like 25 years ago, I couldn't handle that. And so there were guys I had to like say, I'm sorry, I can't hang out with you. I can't, I can't. Because one beer leads to like, a half a case of beer and how many shots of wild turkey and then Gunner was on fire and then the next morning Gunner's waking up going, oh, oops, sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> it probably sounded like that to me, but it was like, this is like, Gunner, how did you do it again? And so I had to learn to run, to, get, to find the way of escape. Part of finding the way of escape is don't put yourself into these situations. Be aware of the sin that you're encountering so that you will be able to endure it. So my question to you as we look at this, you can go back to Mark, is like, have you reached the place where you hate your sin? That's a good place to be when, you, like, when you're just like disgusted with the sin in your life and the destruction that it's happened. Because sin doesn't lead to good places. It might in that moment feel or seem good, but when you look at the trajectory of 10, 20, eternal perspective... It never leads to good places. First question I was going to ask is, what are, you, what, like, like, what are you willing to cut off for the purpose of eliminating sin? But the, the, probably the better question is, what are you unwilling to depart from? Like, are, you, uh, are you unwilling to cut certain things out of your life because you fill in the blank? They're so important to you, and that importance is actually more important to following and honoring God with your life, the reality is that these things are probably an idol like because you value them more than God. And so Jesus here with the disciples is pressing them. 
godliness, self-control, restraint, taking drastic measures for the purpose of your, your spiritual life. And then he goes on to say, which is ar- like arguably the, the most difficult couple verses in, in the whole of the Bible. <clears throat> One guy said there's 15 different options for translating this. Another guy said 12. I don't know which one is right. The bottom line is there's a bunch. Like, I don't know. Because um, Jesus goes on to say, so he takes the fire and then he adds a little salt to it. And he says, uh, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be peace, and be at peace with one another. And so, like, I was kind of hoping I'd run out of time, so I timed it perfectly <laughs> to like not go into all of the like when when I see this just in the context, um, like in, in the context of this whole passage, what I see is Jesus moving the disciples from thinking about themselves in the form of like how do they advance themselves. How do they get better than everybody else? That by the time you get to the end of this, realizing that they're going to stand before God and that they begin thinking about themselves in terms of uh, like what 1 Corinthians says, that you know, one day that every one of us, both saved and unsaved, will stand before our maker. And those of us who know Christ, we're going to stand before him. It's going to be like a fire. That, that, that's, what, that's kind of what I think this fire is, that this, this fire is going to blow over you. And only that which is pure and holy it's going to remain. It's a beautiful thing because all of our sin it will be, be done away with. So, so they're, they're looking at themselves the whole way, but they're not looking, they're not, they begin looking at themselves by comparing themselves to others. And by the end, they're looking at themselves with the sense of like, Jesus, I want to be like you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need hope. See things like humility, unity, dependency upon God, and commitment to Him. Everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these convicting words of Christ. Lord, I thank you that as you cut and convict with your word, you also send your spirit to, um, to heal men, provide salvation through Christ our Lord. Father, I pray that you would break us of the strongholds that are in our life, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to cling to you, to uh, wrap our arms around you, uh, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, we ask that you would help us to really truly seek to be last, to, to give our lives as servants. Uh, Lord, may we honor you with all that we are and do. Lord, we pray that you would help those, all of us, Lord, that struggle with sin. Um, Lord, we need your help. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. <laughs>